Amen and amen. Well, I know what happened at Telequal, and I know what happened here because I come in a sports jacket and I sit down beside Trenton and Miss Renee, you guys call her Marissa. But she looked over at me and went, And I looked over at her and went. And she said, the jacket. So before you guys start doing it's a jacket. I did not buy it, but people has given me numerous ones of these. And yesterday I done something that I've never done before. See, I've preached three funerals in one day. On one occasion, but I've preached two on numerous occasions. I've preached as many as six times on a Sunday. But you know what I've done yesterday that I've never done in my 20 years of ministry? I've done two weddings. One was at 2 o'clock. The other one was at 3.30. Siri told me, Pastor Rob, it's 49 minutes commute between the two locations. But see, it was 12 and 22 outreach yesterday, so I didn't have time to worry much because I went and cleaned the widow's yard with the help of our group. And when I got home, my wife was worried. She said, did you ask those couples what color they was getting married in? I said, no, and I don't care. Me doing their wedding is not contingent on what color they choose. I thought that's what my wife was getting at. I thought I was starting, supposed to start discriminating. And if they chose a color I didn't like, I just said, you'll have to find a different man. So when I get home, she said, I got a hold of uh, Jimmy. I said, who's Jimmy? You're doing his wedding today. I said, by the way, who's he marrying? She said, I laid you some clothes out on the bed. So she had me matching. I said, what if it don't match the second wedding? That'll match anything. And it was a, not this jacket, but a light color jacket. You know what I found out about those weddings when I arrived at both of them? They was outside. I would never thank my wife in front of her, but I'll thank you thank her not in front of her I was sure glad she put that jacket somebody give me out with my wedding clothes my wedding apparel yesterday because it would have been cold without this jacket so this morning I got up and I went out to start to pick up and it was cold outside and I thought I'll just wear one of them jackets but little did I know I was going to get oohed and odd over so much Everybody all right with my jacket? If you can't preach good, try to look good. All right? So here we go. Had those two weddings yesterday, got by, just pretty decent. But when I left there, here's what I heard. I heard about a man, he was a grumpy old man. He went to see a psychiatrist... 
And he said, Doc, I want an examination. I want a diagnosis. And the doc examined him and he said, I've got your diagnosis. Are you ready for this? And the old grumpy man said, give it to me straight, doc. He said, after the examination, your diagnosis, you're crazy. Old grumpy man looks at him. He said, I want a second opinion. He said, I'll give you a second opinion. Not only are you crazy, you're ugly. Now, I heard that yesterday. And after hearing it, the man that said it said, and I'll tell you what, that psychiatrist give us a good diagnosis of our nation. When I was driving through Locust, I began to look at all the things that's changed since I grew up in Locust. And America is not the same America I grew up in. It's crazy. It's ugly. You with me? And after I heard that, Brother Mike, I thought about while I was on my long trip listening to some podcasts and watching, I thought about a lady, I don't know her name, and I, and I don't know how the speech went, but it went something like this. She said, America is not America as we knew America. She said, we live in confusing and crazy times. And he says, there's, she says, there's no way to justify the insanity that's going on in America right now. And she went on to say some statements, not quoting her word for word, but I'm going to give you the gist of what she said. If you're ready for it, say, I am. She said, if a man pretends to be a woman, we're expected to pretend with him that he's a woman. We live in a country that says they don't believe in gender, but they demand a female president. People that's never owned slaves are told that they're going to have to make reprimation for people that's never been slaves. They're telling us people who's never been to college that we're going to pay for these colleges of these people that took out huge loans to get their degree. She went on to say, we live in a country where we see other countries that practice socialism collapse and crumble, and we still think it's a good idea to become a socialist country. She said, we live in a crazy place where somebody is held responsible for something that happened before they was born and we don't hold somebody responsible for who just done something that was wrong. She said, in our country, we release the criminals Immediately. And if anybody tries to stop them from doing a crime, we're keeping them from their, their, their freedom to do what they want to do. She went on to say, we live in a country that when we call all of that hypocrisy, we're called racist. 
We cannot even call a virus that come from China a Chinese virus without being considered a racist. When a virus comes from China, China, we ought to be able to call it a Chinese virus without being hated or racist. We live in a country where it's wrong to kill murderers, but it's A-OK to kill babies. Folks, I'm going to tell you, We've come to the time that Isaiah said we would come to. Woe to you when you call evil good and good evil. We've come to a place where bad is considered good, good is considered bad. We've come to a place where immoral is considered moral, immoral considered moral, and moral is considered immoral. And here's what she closed with. If you're listening, say, I am. The great ship... Titanic America, she's hit an iceberg, she's taken on water, and she's sinking fast. How many know that that young lady hit the nail on the head? And you know what the Bible says to you and I to do in the midst of that? Rejoice in the Lord. Paul at the 50-yard line of the book of Philippians, he's a good Baptist preacher because he said, finally, like he was going to close it and he wasn't even halfway done. He said, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. One chapter and three verses later, he had to remind us again, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. He had to tell the church at Thessalonica, rejoice always in the midst of a crazy confusing and spiritually ugly world. You know what the Bible tells you and I to do? Rejoice in the Lord. But you know the problem? We rejoice in circumstances. And when you rejoice in circumstances, let me tell you, circumstances change. Your rejoicing will be like a roller coaster. It will be up and it will be down. That's why it's important to rejoice in the Lord because He's Mr. Consistency. My Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So even in a crazy, confusing, and a spiritually ugly world, we can rejoice in one thing, and His name is Jesus Christ because He's never changed in a country that has. Amen. And then I heard this other story about a man who swallowed an egg. And he says, I can't move. I'll break it. Somebody said, well, then be still. He said, I can't be still. I might hatch it. So, Why does Christians who know the Lord have been instructed no matter what goes on, rejoice in the Lord? Why are too many of us like that man that swallowed the egg? In a confusing and a crazy and a spiritually ugly world, I've watched a lot of Christians just lock up in the last few years. When the Bible tells us God did not give us a spirit of fear, go ahead and move. Go ahead and be still. Do what the Lord leads you. 
Because God did not give you a spirit of fear, but one of love and power and of a sound mind. Are you with me? We all agree. America is crazy. It's confusing. It's spiritually ugly. But we're instructed in the midst of it to rejoice in the Lord always. And we're not we're not to be paralyzed in fear in the middle of this confusion and craziness and ugliness. We're to have the spirit of power and love and a sound mind. I've got the message and I don't know what the title is other than rejoice in the Lord always and remove fear. Okay, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Now, First John's where we're going. First John, that's where we're going. But can you turn there and still listen? Because here's what I instructed. When you got two weddings, hour and a half apart, 49-minute commute, you don't want no boo-boos. You don't want no... So I had instructed those folks, get me the order and how you want your wedding to go to me where I've got time to think about it, okay? The night before wedding number one, I got all the details, Okay? So I knew exactly how it was going. So I arrive at wedding number one. It starts at 2 o'clock. I pull in the driveway at 1.50. That's 10 minutes. That's 600 seconds that I can shut the truck off. I can go. And I can think about what they told me the night before and I can get out and perform that. I mean, 10 minutes ought to be time enough for anybody to get ready for anything. But it occurred to me right in the middle of, watch this, that deep breath, I hadn't got nothing from that second wedding. And isn't it something how God's timing in the middle of me going, my phone dinged. And I looked down at my phone trying to get ready for wedding number one and it was the groom of wedding number two and the text was about this long. And I began to read that, and that was the most information I'd have on any wedding I'd ever done. I thought, how in the world am I going to remember that? Well, shoot, if I can do this wedding in 30 minutes and I can drive over there for it, surely I can get that down in the drive over there. So I went ahead, and here's what, I don't even get nervous. But I'm standing up there at wedding number one, and I stand there, and I stand there. And I stand there. The wind blows their unity sign down. I look at it. I stand there some more. I look over at the groom. I said, what time is it? Ten after two. I said, you have any idea where your bride is? She was out there in that truck. I said, you know, I need to be leaving here pretty quick. And it's she ought to be here. If she wants to marry you. I mean we can do it without her. And we're going to have to here in just a second. So we didn't even get started till 10 after. But I'm going to tell you. I talk fast. And they're just as married. If they would have if I'd have talked slow. And I got in my vehicle. And I headed the back roads to wedding number two. And so I just put that text there. And I looked down at it. And here's what it said. Now you talk about, I'm headed over, and I know I'm going to be getting there. I got there five minutes before it started, so that's half the time I usually go. So I had to go and, and do it faster. 
So you know what this, this, this text starts out with? We want to have an unplugged wedding. And I thought, oh my gosh, I don't know what an unplugged wedding is. <laughs> Does anybody else? I mean, I'm the guy performing the ceremony and the first sentence says, we would like to have an unplugged wedding. And I thought, oh my gosh. I guess when I get there, if anything's plugged in, I'll just head up to the altar unplugging stuff. <laughs> I mean, we, I don't know what an unplugged... So I thought, well, maybe they explain. And they did. So I want you to listen to me. We need to have an unplugged service today. You ready for this? We want to have an unplugged wedding. Please tell everybody, no cell phones. No pictures with their cell phones. And turn their cell phones off. You know what it said in that text? Tell them we just want them to be present. So I'd forgot about that. So when I walk up there to wedding number two, and the wedding party starts coming in, somebody to my right jumps up with a cell phone. And I thought, Snikes! They're done coming in. It started. And I said, as they come down, I've got some instructions that no cell phones, ma'am, are to be taken out. No pictures to be taken. They'll share theirs with you, ma'am. And go ahead and put them on silent or under your seat. I didn't do it quite like that. I said, they requested that your cell phones be put down. They'll share their pictures. And they requested that you turn them off because the bride and groom has requested that you be present here today. You know what they were saying? A lot of times we're here, but we're a million miles away. And I couldn't help but think of when God told Moses, come up to the mountain in my presence. But it's something pretty interesting. He says, and be there. You know what God knew about Moses? God knew He'd give him a big responsibility to lead a couple million people. And God knew that I, I want some time with you, Moses, but I know the human nature. And you can come up here in my presence, but I know you're dealing with a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of things. By the way, when you come up here, I need you to be present. I need you to wipe out all the responsibilities that you have all your failures, all the mistakes, and I need you to not think about what you're going to do this week. God said to Moses, because he knew human nature, come in my presence and be there. Can we have an unplugged service today? Come into the presence of God and be here. How many times do we come into church and we're a million miles away? I'm guilty. Are you? Sometimes we need to be reminded we need to have an unplugged service. Unplugged from last week. Don't plug into next week yet. Just unplug. And be here. For what God has to say to us today. I think we need to be here because we all agree America's crazy. It's confusing. And it's ugly. And John tells us how we can rejoice in the Lord and remove our fear in the midst of a confusing, crazy, and spiritually ugly world. Amen? So 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. Does anybody's Bible have those bold headlines above the Scripture? Has anybody got those? 
You know what mine says above 1 John 1? Mine says, what was heard, seen, and touched. Does anybody else's Bible have that bold headline? What was seen, what was heard, and what was touched. Now watch this. Has any of you ever physically seen Jesus when He was here in the flesh? Anybody? Some of you look old, but I didn't think. So nobody in the building has seen Jesus in the flesh. Has anybody in the building heard Jesus in the flesh? Okay. So if you hadn't seen Him, and you hadn't heard Him in the flesh... I think I'm pretty safe to say nobody's touched him. Arna? Watch what John starts out with. John says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and he goes just a little further, I think he does, which we have looked upon. I didn't just see the glance of a deer. I looked upon him because he didn't take off running. I seen a deer. And I looked upon a deer. There's a lot of difference. John just told us, that which was from the beginning, we've heard him. I've seen him, but it wasn't just a glance. I've looked upon him. You with me? And he says, and our hands have handled. Now, do you think there's a difference in our hands, which our hands have touched? That's touching, ain't it? That ain't what John says. John says, which our hands have handled. You know much about John? He's the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know much more about him? He was always in the lap of Jesus. This guy hadn't just touched Jesus. There was an intimate relationship. There was hugs during times of hurts and heartaches. Are you with me? So here's a guy that wants to give you and I some encouragement of how to rejoice in the Lord and remove our fear in the midst of a crazy, confusing, and spiritually ugly world. And watch this. This ain't just any guy. He's got one up on us. I've heard him. I've looked upon him with my eyes. I've gazed at him. And I hadn't just touched him. I've hugged on him. Pretty good guy for us to get some encouragement from. Are you with me? So having done that, now he sits down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he tells us how to rejoice in the Lord always and remove our fears. If you're ready and you're present and you're here, say, I am. Put down last week, next week ain't come. We're just in the presence of the Lord. Listen to what He's got to say. Jesus is light. I mean, if we want to rejoice in the Lord 
in the darkest of times, doesn't it help us to know that Jesus is the light? So right after He tells us, He says in verse 5, this is the message which we have heard. Jesus told us He's the light. And, and it's from Him and we declare it to you. I heard it straight from the horse's mouth and I'm going to tell you about it. And that's what I'm going to tell you. That God is light and in Him there is no darkness. Now would you agree with me that in this nation that is so confusing and, and, and so crazy and so spiritually ugly, another word that would fit our nation is it's dark. Darker than it's ever been before, perhaps. And I don't think any of us could argue that it's not darker than it's ever been before. And when we're instructed in the darkest of times, rejoice in the Lord, a pretty good encouragement to rejoice in the Lord. Hey, it's dark, but we got the light living inside of us. Do you get that? Man, if it's dark, I'm glad that I've got a light. And we live in a dark, dark world and I can rejoice in the Lord because I've got the light. One Tuesday morning after living 30 plus years in darkness, guess what? i got the light. And no matter how dark and crazy and confused and spiritually ugly this world gets, Jesus is the light. And so, listen to me. We was out there in Colorado. And man, I tell you, them guys got to talking and they looked at me and said, you guys got hogs? I said, yeah, we show them in the spring and fall to county fairs. I knew what they was talking about. I just love doing that to people. We're not talking about hogs. We got them. I'm talking about wild hogs. I said, oh, yeah, we got you guys hunt them. I said, yeah, I don't hunt them a whole lot, but I've been on a few hunts. They said, well, how you guys hunt them? I said, well, we turn out the dogs. They get on one when they bay him, whether we're a horseback or what. We run in there, and, and you run in there, and you catch one of them old hogs by the back. Well, ain't them hogs mean? Well, yeah, they're mean. You guys are crazy, they said. I said, oh, I just come from a church service down in Louisiana where I caught all three of the hogs that turned loose. Yeah, well, how'd you catch them? Well, it was daylight. It wasn't dark. But, but listen, I'd run in there, and I'd rope them hogs. I mean, just like you rope a calf, just slick around the goozle. That's the neck. But the problem is when them hogs turn around, their necks are bigger than their heads. And you can jerk them hogs straight over like you do a calf and it'll slingshot them in the air about 30 foot because when they come over, the rope comes off and they just shoot. It's good watching, but you don't catch the hog. And so they said, well, if you couldn't rope them, oh, I was so frustrated. I'd rope them and they'd come off. I was so frustrated. I wanted to catch the hogs. It's a competition to me. And I caught all three of those hogs. Well, if you didn't rope them, how'd you catch them? Well, when I got frustrated and couldn't rope, and they got tired of me chasing them roping, they run in a thicket, and I jumped off and went in there and got a leg. What I done? And, and yeah, it is a little bit spooky if you if you think about it. Let me tell you, if you ever want to catch a, catch a hog, don't think. Just run in there and grab a hold of something. If you think, you could get hurt. So Tyson, that's Kit's boy, he said, you know, when we had the bull sale in Australia a few years ago, we went over and they hunt hogs like that. He said, so they took our crew of about four and we took this guide and we went out there and they done it like you folks do down there in Oklahoma. They, they turned them dogs loose in the dark 
And he said, that old boy got all excited. They struck a hog up. And he said, they went down in what I call a canyon. I said, oh, yeah, we call them holler. He said, well, you guys holler. I said, no, we call them a holler. We don't holler nothing. They're a holler. Boy, it's something when you travel very far how you got to explain everything, isn't it? He said, well, this hog went down in a canyon. And he said, the three other guys decide, man, this is nuts. He said, we're not going down in there. And he said, man, I, this was something. I may never have the chance to do this again. We don't have hogs in eastern Colorado. He said, so I take off and I find out I'm not fast as this guy. He knows the terrain. He heads down in that canyon and he's getting way ahead of me. And he said, I mean, I'm getting closer and closer to the dogs and the, and the hog. And, and man, he is a... He's raising Cain, and I can hear him, and, and I'm not sure about it, but he's so far ahead of me. And the problem is, I didn't have a light. But he did. When I was studying upon this message, I thought, man, you know, when you don't have a light, and you're headed down into a canyon with a bunch of dogs and a wild hog, you don't know the terrain, it's kind of chaotic. It's kind of confusing. But not near as chaotic as our nation without the light of Jesus. Folks, and let me tell you something. You can't count on anybody else's light to get you through a confusing and crazy and spiritually ugly time. You've got to have the light. And if you've got the light of the world living inside you, guess what you can do in the crazy, confusing, and spiritually ugly times? You can rejoice in the Lord and you can remove the fear because the darker the hour the better the light. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, right at dusk. starts to get dark in the house, don't it? Man, it's getting dark in here. Let's flip on the lights. And you go flip on the lights and you think, must be a bulb burn out, but you look up and it's on. Because right at dusk, guess what? That light just don't shine real bright. Hardly can even tell it's on. Has anybody experienced that? How about when you're driving down the road and it's just dusk and you need some lights, but you flip them on. I really can't tell they're on because it's just dusk. Can you think about that with me for just a minute? I don't know when it happened. Maybe Bob, maybe Georgia, maybe some of these folks can, can tell us when it happened. Spiritually speaking, I think we went through a time of dusk. I think we lived in a country that our morals was pretty good. Even lost people. Don't you? I mean, police officers and school teachers and public workers, they might not be saved, but they had some morals, didn't they? And so there was Christians that was moral because they had the light of the world in them. But I think that was a time in America that was dusk. You with me? Dusk has passed. Let me tell you what happens when you're driving down the road and it gets dark. The darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. Let me tell you what's happened. Dusk is over in America. It's dark. And if you want to get through these dark, crazy, confusing, and spiritually ugly times, guess what? You'll know if the light's on. And the light's got to be shining. And if your light's shining, guess what you can do? You can rejoice in the Lord and your fear can be removed. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. But then secondly... John wants to help us out by what he's seen, what he's heard, and what he's touched. He says, man, the darkest of times, guess what? Jesus is the light. Rejoice in Him. Remove the fear. He is the light for a dark world. As dark as it's getting, we got the light. And we ought to be saying, amen and amen. But watch what happens. 
John also says, from what he's seen, heard, and touched, Jesus is love. Watch 1 John 1, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love has a name. That's the song I heard on the way over here from Telequota Prior. Love has a name, and it's Jesus. And he says, in this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. So, hadn't we mostly agreed that our nation is full of darkness? Come on, get verbal with me. We've agreed to that. And isn't it encouraging that we have the light? The darker it is, the brighter the light, the more it's going to help us. Right? Now, I just said, John told us, Jesus is love. Would you agree with me that we live in a country that's full of hate? More hate in America today than there's ever been. So John says, let me just encourage you. It's dark. Jesus is light. Let me just encourage you. You live in a world that is full of hate. More hate than there's ever been. And let me just tell you something. Go ahead and rejoice in the Lord because Jesus is love. Opposite of darkness is light. That's what Jesus is. Opposite of hate is love. That's what Jesus is. Folks, that's good stuff right there. That encourages me in a world that's filled with hate that my Jesus is love. Love has a name and it's Jesus Christ. See, in the staff meeting the other day, because of my crazy schedule, Guthrie starts, and somebody said, it's glad to have you back. I'll see, I said, I'll be back to Wednesday night after prayer meeting, and I go to Guthrie. But the good news is, Marty Brock is going to take over uh, Sunday morning, so I'm going to get to be right back at Exciting Southeast next Sunday morning. I've only got to be at Guthrie Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we can come home, and we'll be all ready and primed up to spend Thanksgiving with the, home, with the church family at home. And I was so excited about that. And I'd ask him about it, and he told me he could, but he also said, I'll get back with you. And I know Marty too well, and he knows me too well. So in the staff meeting, I send him a text Monday, just making sure you got Guthrie Sunday morning. That's all I sent him. And Marty and I don't text each other well. That's a phone call usually, but it was the middle of staff meeting. But more appropriate, just to, under the table, you've got Sunday morning at Guthrie, right? Well, here in a minute, in the middle of this staff meeting, I get a text that's just about a paragraph shorter than the one I got from that groom of the second wedding yesterday. Marty don't text. Or at least I didn't think. And it's a long text, and I'm trying to be in the staff meeting and be present, but now I'm a million miles away wondering who texts that. So I look down at it, and I'm thinking, there's no way. The wording on it, he's telling me, is it confirmed that it starts at 8, and is there another rope and following it? And, I mean, he's going on, and, he's, and I'm thinking, that ain't Marty. But when I got to the end, you know what that la- the last words of that, that text was? Love you. And I thought, I'll be doggone, that's Marty. How many of you know Marty? Love you, brother. Love you, sister. Huh? That's Marty Brock. After that long text, I thought, that's Marty. And every time Marty says he loves me, you've heard me say it before, I said, you wouldn't if you knew me. I want you to think about how many people that say they love you would really love you if they knew your thoughts and your motives and they knew the real you. 
I got a question for you. When I think about my thoughts and I think about me, I think I can answer. Nobody would love me because I can't even love myself for some of the things I think. Anybody else with me? Who would really love us if they really knew us? Would anybody? Folks, God knows everything about us. And guess what? Still loves us. That's pretty big in case you didn't know it. Knows everything about us and still loves us. I can't hardly comprehend that. And then these people that always come, well, well, love you, brother. Love you, brother. And when they say that, I'm going to turn around and say, prove it. Prove it. And I'm thinking one of these rich people, when they come by, they got like millions of dollars, and they say, man, we love you, brother Rob, and I'm going to say, prove it. 9607448 is the count number, one million. <laughs> prove it. You say you love me, but I need proof that you love me. How many know probably my count would still be just as shallow as it ever has? Have you ever thought about it in that manner? God's rich. That's what the Bible says. And He says, I love you. And could it have been one time that when somebody heard that, just looked up to the heaven and said, I'll prove it. Your God who says you're rich, prove it. And I'm going to tell you what God done. He walked down there to the throne where Jesus, His boy, was being worshipped by all of heaven. And He interrupted that worship service and He said, Son, come here. They've asked me to prove that I love them. I need you to go down there. I need you to live the sinless life. And I need you to die on that cross. And we're going to prove to this world we love them even though we know them. And so what happened? Jesus came down from heaven. He lived a sinless life. And let me just inform you, my Bible says, no man took his life. He laid it down for them. So if you ever doubt the love of God, don't ever forget He proved it. When He laid down His life on the old rugged cross, and let me tell you something here this morning, in a world that's full of hate, confusion, craziness, and is spiritually ugly, right smack dab in the middle of it, we got the light of the world in us, and we got love that has a name, Jesus Christ, right in the middle of us. So guess what? We ought to be able to rejoice in the Lord and remove fear. Amen. Now watch this, and I'm almost through. This guy that seen, heard, and touched, he said, Jesus is light. Don't worry about the darkness. Don't worry about the hate. Jesus is love. But watch this. He says, Jesus is life. 
In the last part of 1 John 4, 9, In this the love was manifested toward us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world. Prove that love. Listen to this. That we might live through Him. He goes over to 1 John 5, 11. He's seen, he's heard, he's touched. Watch what he says. And this is the testimony. Don't you love to have a testimony of an eyewitness? John is an eyewitness. And he says in 1 John 5, 11, This is the testimony. That God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, K-N-O-W, know, even in the midst of a dark world full of hate, confused and crazy, spiritually ugly, you can know in the midst of all that chaos that you have eternal life. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad in the middle of a world that has so much chaos that's dark. Don't we agree? Darker than it's ever been. Full of hate. Don't we agree? You don't have to agree. You know what's happened more in the last two years than ever before? More death than it's ever been. Get it? Jesus is... That Bible's outdated. Oh, Really? He said he'd be light in the darkness, love in a world full of hate. And when death has got more numbers than it's ever had before, he says, I'm the light. He's so far ahead of the news. More death than there's ever been. And we don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. We can rejoice in the Lord because in the middle of death, guess what? We've got life. And life is in the Son of God. So I, I got back this week and I got down there in Lettahatchie, Alabama, and I, and I unloaded them bulls, and the, and the guy come around there and said, nice truck, nice trailer, looking at old Big Bird in the ground low. He said, you want to sell it? I said, might. Next old boy come in, nice truck. I mean, we had about three or four wanting to buy a Big Bird in the ground low. I went to get names and numbers. Because I knew when I got back to northeast Oklahoma, Spur Ranch was selling out. They had a little more horsepower in a truck. A little nicer paint job on a truck. A little bigger ground load. Eight foot longer. Six inches wider. Air ride on the trailer. Look here. I got back and I was fired up. I text them people down in Alabama. I got what they wanted to give for the truck. And I said, now it's not for sale unless I can get the one that I've got spotted bought. It's an auction. Don't know what it's going to bring. So rather than just go up there Friday, the guy that used to pilot when I cut it is now a pilot. Trey's a pilot. So I call him up and I say, how long it take us to fly Vanita? They got a courtesy car. He said, take us 20 minutes to fly Vanita. I said, they got a courtesy car where we can drive out? Yep. I said, let's. So he calls me Thursday morning. We load a truck out going to Illinois. And I get over there to the airport and got old Truett. Got three generations, old Pass Paul, Trey, and Truett. We get in the airplane. 20 minutes, we're, lighting, we're landing right down at Vanita Airport. 
And Trey said, before we left, he said, there's one stipulation. There's a real estate auction at Disney, and I want to go to it. It's at 12.01. So when we land at Vanita, it, it's like 10.30, and, and he says, man, I don't know if we ought to drive out there to Spur Ranch. I don't want to miss that real estate auction. Long story short, this trip that was going to be so fast, let's just go eat it. Is it Clancy's? Clanton's? Oh, yeah. So we went in there, and we had the chicken fried steak breakfast. Mm, that's what me and Trey had. Truett, you give him a corn dog and tater tots, he's tickled to death. So we had breakfast, and so we drive to Disney. We fly to Vanita in 20 minutes. We drive, and we get there to this real estate auction. And let me I'm going to preach just a little bit here on thumping kids. So we're in this courtesy car, and we pull into this auction. And at 12.01, they, they, they auction off the real estate. So Trey, he just jumps out and leaves me with his kid. And he's trying to get up there. Well, when I get Truett out of the car seat, it's cold. Does anybody know how cold it was on Thursday? So I said, get your coat on, Truett. I don't want to. It's too short, past Paul. I said, get your coat on. It's cold outside. Oh, my mama. I said, I don't care if you want your mama. You're putting your coat on. And so he begins to tell me he's not going to wear his coat. And here's the lesson I want to give you. He's two. I watch people who their kids tell them they don't want to put on a coat, and it's a 30-minute ordeal. Now, I can probably tie a calf faster than I can get through it in a coat, but it didn't take me long. He's two. I yanked him up, and I slapped a coat on him, and I yanked it down, and I said, you're going to wear your coat. Oh, my mommy, it's too short. So there's a lesson. When you got a two-year-old, you're bigger than them, and you can win the fight, and you can win it quick. Do you hear me? That's preaching. That ain't meddling. That's stomp the kids, slap the coat on them. But as we head to this auction, he's going, Oh, my mama, my coat's too short. I said, Your coat is not too short. Hush up, boy. So I'm trying to figure out if... Trey's going to win the bid and we're standing behind there and he's and and I'm watching this guy stand beside Trey and and he's bidding and all of a sudden he quits bidding and he steps back and and I've learned something there. When your kid's crying just step up to a stranger right in the middle of them and start talking to them. No true. So I'm not, I'm thinking just when a kid's crying just walk into a crowd and just step up there real close with him let him look him in the eye. I mean I'm learning about this stuff. So he begins to ask me about this auction. And I said, I, he said, you, you interested? I said, no, I'm not interested in it. That's my boy up there. Oh, the one that's still bidding. I said, yeah. I said, this is his son. I'm his dad. We, we, he just, is he into real estate? I said, well, he might be. See who wins. I don't know. And so he's bidding and he begins to tell me, he said, I would have bid more if my wife would have been on board. I said, well, I'm not sure his wife's on board and he's still bidding. Get back in there. I said, when, when did that matter? <laughs> I mean, since when did your wife have to be on board to bid? Not j- I'm joking. Your wife should be on board. That guy was a good man. So, so anyway, he begins to tell me, he said, well, if he don't get this, he said, I've got a little old lot over in the trailer house, and, 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 I, and I'm thinking, I want to go to Spur Ranch. And I started to say, this, you, you mentioned that to you. I'll kick you right in the knee. 
keep your mouth shut because by this time Trey didn't have the bid and I knew if he mentioned it to Trey, I knew there was going to be another stop. And sure enough, that old boy stepped up there and said, hey, I know he didn't get that, but I got a lot right over here around the corner. So we're headed to the car and, oh, and we're headed to the car and Trey bids 10000 on a little John Deere tractor that ain't big enough to move a turd. I, I don't know what, I'm set, I, I mean, he just got this problem. And I'm thinking, what are we going to do with that little tractor? And, and so we get out there and we get, he said, do you got, here's what he asked me. Do you got time to go around there and look at that guy's trailer house and lot? And I said, no. I, I just wanted to see what he, uh, no. All right. So we get in the car and I'm just sitting there thinking, well, I told him no. I mean, we drive down, we make a turn. I said, where are we going? We're going to go look at that trailer house. And, uh, so me. So me telling you I didn't have time meant absolutely nothing. I didn't say, no, I didn't have time. Oh, yeah. I said, no, I don't. I mean, I just wanted to see what. So it's like a good member of the church. You can tell them something. It really don't matter. So look here. Now, this is, where, this is the point I'm trying to make. I took a long time getting there. We get out, and this man has an elderly man with him, and we head up there to look in this house on this lot. And the man walks in, and he gets in, and, and me and Truett's fixing to go in. And, and he turns around, and he says, oh, yeah, I've got an ozone machine going. And they say you're not supposed to come in when that's running. Well, I, can, I was going to go on in, and then it was like I can, you know, when I get a calf off a cow, I can hear that mama bellering get real close. It's like I could hear Donna bellering. You don't take that boy in that house. So I can hear her kind of bellering, and I just turn around, and I just head back out. I don't know nothing about an ozone machine. I don't have... No idea about him. But Trey is still alive, and he did go in. Thank God. Can you see me and old Truett trying to fly that plane back with his body in the back seat? <laughs> Truett, get in. What's wrong with Dad? I don't know if he's dead or passed out. It's that ozone machine, son. Get your coat on. It ain't too short. <laughs> Boy, the life of Rob. So we get outside, and the old man, he... I said, you know, we, we turned around, that old man was going in too, and he just liked me and old T.L. He made a U-turn too. I said, you know anything about an ozone machine? No, I don't know nothing about no ozone machine. I said, has it got anything to do with global warming? He said, I don't know. I said, well, I'm going to tell you something about global warming. It's happening. You know where I'm going. I'm looking for me a witness. I said, this place is going to melt with fervor and heat. He looked at me and he said, oh, Jesus is coming. So we had church. They're in there fighting with an ozone machine, and me and the old man and T.L. had church. And here's what he said. And I want you to listen. I think it's a pretty good thing to tell your kids and grandkids. He turned around and he said, Jesus is coming, son. He's an old man, probably in his 90s. He said, Jesus is coming, son. He said, I'm telling my kids we've lived in a bubble in America. And he said, they're persecuted over there. They're thrown in prison. And he said, I told my kids, get ready. The bubble is being removed. We could be thrown in prisons, but I tell them, when you do, you keep rejoicing in the Lord. Huh? Where to get the message? You keep rejoicing in the Lord. And you keep witnessing to the others in that prison with you. That's all you can do. You're thrown in prisons to die. But you can't threaten a Christian with death because Jesus is life. Amen.
So I hope in the midst of a confusing and crazy and spiritually ugly world, I hope from the words of John who saw, heard, and touched and give us a testimony can help us to rejoice in the Lord always and remove fear. Let me just close with this. It, maybe it will help you, okay? When is the darkest hour? Right before dawn. We're in dark times. It's the darkest hour. That's right before dawn. Jesus is coming again. To the point one preacher put it very well, I quit looking for the signs. I started listening for the sounds. So let me encourage you at the end of this message. Jesus came to earth, you know when? Right on time. Jesus died on the cross, you know when? Right on time. Jesus rose from the dead, you want to know when? Right on time. Jesus ascended back to heaven, do you want to know when? Right on time. Jesus, my dear friends, He is coming again. And let me inform you when. It will be right on time. And so until He comes again, may we be found obedient to thus saith the Word of God, rejoicing in the Lord always, and our fears being removed, because we've got a Jesus that's always on time. Let us stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we come to You right now in the sweet and precious name of Jesus. And Father, we know it's dark. We know there's hate. Lots of death. But thank You, we have the light. Thank You in the middle of hate that love has a name and it's Jesus Christ. And thank You that where there's death, you give life. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. If you're here today, these crazy, confusing, and spiritually ugly and dark times, they should concern you to the point that you give your heart and life to Jesus. See, you come here physically alive, but spiritually dead in your sins and trespasses. And God, by way of Holy Spirit, has spoke to your heart today, and you know in your heart that you need to be saved. We'd love to show you how to do that here this morning from the Scriptures. Not embarrass you, just sit you down, just kneel beside you, and explain what the Bible says about salvation. If you need to be saved, would you come this morning? And I'll just say this. Christians, you ought to lead the way. You ought to come to these altars rejoicing in the Lord this morning, having God to remove that spirit of fear and replace it with the spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. In a confusing and a crazy and a spiritually ugly and dark world, these altars ought to be full of Christians thanking God for the light in the darkness, the love in the midst of hate, and the life in the midst of death. Father, I pray as Christians kneel in these altars that Your Holy Spirit would convict those lost and undone without the Son, that they're hell-bound, 
And they don't have to leave here that way. Father, I pray for the lost to be saved and the saved to be encouraged. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.